This is Nuance Radio. Oh. I've never seen that. I've never seen anyone jump over a mule. <laughs> That's quite a task, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, especially if they're tall. Yeah. Nuance Radio invites you to join the conversation that has come to be known as One Bloke Went to Mo. Welcome, welcome. This is One Bloke Went to Mo. Uh, with me is Victoria. Victoria, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. That's excellent. Um, I, once again, uh, not recording on a Friday, recording on a Sunday. Slackers. Um, I know, right? Slackers. But we have good reason uh, because uh, we've been um, Ozconning it this weekend. Yeah. Wasn't that fun? Yes. I'm oh actually going back again today. Are you? Yes. Nice. Taking Emma. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, she's going to love it. She's definitely going to love it. Hopefully some people are still dressed up while they're there, because she'll like that. I know. Some of the costumes were just amazing. Yes. So if you don't know, uh, Ozcon, um, kind of like a gaming convention, right? And, yes. And... Uh, taking up the Civic Center for the weekend. And um, I don't know how many people were there. I mean, lots of vendors, lots of different... I mean, they had a magician on stage at one point. They had... Uh, I don't understand. They had some people from the world of wrestling there. Yeah, they, was, they had a wrestling guy up there. It was a little odd, I thought. That I don't was know. A, out of place. <laughs> Wasn't it? I thought so. He was like, y'all got any wrestling fans? And two people went, woo! So, yes, <laughs> certainly um, the level of excitement on stage, you know, the, the wrestler's level of excitement was way higher than anyone else in the room. As you wrestlers know? are, I guess. They're super proud of their belts. Because <laughs> I don't want to say that there's a certain type of person that goes to a gaming convention. A certain type of person at a I, gaming convention. I mean, I don't want to, you know, stereotype people, but there were... There were some interesting characters there, definitely. Yes. You know, like a lot of people that look, you know, big beards. I noticed a lot of big beards, uh, for one thing. A lot of black was being worn, <laughs> wasn't there? <laughs> you know? <laughs> <coughs> Reminded me of my um, cure days, you know, with the, oh. the, with the dyed black hair and black T-shirts <laughs> and... Um, writing the cure in Tipex on, on my backpack. You know, Everyone I talked to... Was, ga- canvas backpack that was. Yes. You know. <laughs> I think my backpack was the exception. Good Lord. <laughs> um, what What is it called? Some, that Hunter Orange? Oh, yeah. 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 Bright orange backpack. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everyone I talked to was super nice, though. But that's what I was going to say. All yeah. the people there were super nice. I mean, even if they looked like a big, scary... Um, wizard or something they were all extremely nice yes everyone yeah absolutely yeah. even the security that escorted me away because i <laughs> got into a place i wasn't supposed to be they were very nice yeah yeah and um we went down there for the fortnight competition or tournament as they called it mm-hmm. they had these super fast computers oh my gosh they yes. were so beautiful weren't that they alienware screen and those yeah. fast computers i was like i like this and, and what was it you pointed out even the the ram cartridges were glowing different sort of yes. neon colors yes and, these computers i had not seen these before oh so goodness. i'm probably a little behind but the ram cards lit up mm-hmm. and 
I'm like, I don't need that, but <laughs> I want it really badly. I know. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I want this. <laughs> so Bonham, you know, participated in the Fortnite tournament mm. against uh, nine other players and he came out third place. Yeah. So, um, Way to go, Bonham. I was really proud of him. Very nice. Yeah. Although the the kid that won, you know, so Bonham's eight. The kid that won, I think, was 10 years old. And he he beat everyone hands down. I think he oh, won. Oh, yeah, he slapped everyone around. Yeah, he completed every three of the tournament, uh, the games that you had to play and um, got like 10 to 18 kills on each round. So Yeah, and it was a no-build yeah. server that we were on. And uh-huh. Yeah, I played... But I was not in there to win. I'm like, I'm just here to be cannon fodder at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know what the interesting thing was, right? Um, is so you had to play three games and your best score counted. And the first two times Bonham played, he was really nervous because he was wanting to win. And, you know, he got one kill on each of the first two games. And... I said to him after the second game, you know, I said, relax, you know, just enjoy it. And the third game, he relaxed and he got like t- 10 kills, you know, compared to the one that he had before in the previous two games. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and lo and behold, came in third. I think maybe it helped a little bit that I was body slamming myself around on the server, too. I'm like, I'm helping, Adam. <laughs> I mean, I'm helping, Bonham. <laughs> <laughs> I'm throwing fire jars. <laughs> but I have to say, you know, my initial resistance to Fortnite was, I think, over overdrawn or, you know, um, unfounded because I was watching it yesterday really for the first time and it is a super cool game. Very I, fun. I mean, I know it's a shoot 'em up but... Um, the the costumes are just glorious and the the, dance. the landscape and yeah all the dancing I love oh my goodness I love the cell shading effects mm. on the landscape I'm a sucker for cell shading cell shading mm-hmm. but um, anyway like I said a great I mean just a great event really really cool I thought some of the yeah. artists mm-hmm. oh my goodness yeah some of the artists there their work was really nice there's a lady she makes rugs. Okay. Really beautiful, colorful rugs, which use cell shading. Nice. <laughs> and um, they were phenomenally done. They're just, you know, they're little, but wonderful. Like, I recognized a few characters that she did. Of course, you know, the, the classic one-up mushrooms from Mario and, you know, a couple Pokemon ones. But I saw one from Howl's Moving Castle. She did Calcifer, which is a little fire. Oh, okay. With his facial expression and everything. I was like, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and there were tabletop games there, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those were new to me. I mean, I'd never seen those before. I mean, they had their rulers out, and they were measuring angles and distances. Yeah, they were Golly. actually competing. That was the Warhammer 40K mm-hmm. competition, which was apparently a two-day competition. Okay. So... With some of the characters, they have something called an AOE, which is an area of effect. So mm, if a okay. monster drops a bomb or an enemy drops a bomb, it's not just that one square. It's the area around it. Mm, and I as see. it gets farther from that center point, it does less damage. Got it. So they're figuring out very specifically wow. how many of their people die. <laughs> <laughs> really? 
really is quite nerdy, isn't it? It's cool, though. It is that's very cool. Bust out the rulers. I'm like, that's competition stuff right there. I don't do that. <laughs> like, you, you, you get to die on square two and three. <laughs> One. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so OzCon, great success. Um, I want to go, I want to dress up next year. I oh, that'd be fun. I know. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So, what do they got going on overseas? I see you anxiously <laughs> looking at your phone over there, and I see a three and a zero. Yeah, so once again, um, you know, I've got the, well, I don't have cable. I never subscribed to cable, so I have to watch football matches online. And unfortunately, even if you subscribe to Peacock, um, which is NBC's online version, you don't get every single football match on the, on a, on the weekend. They, you know, pick and choose. And so today's Liverpool match is on cable only, so I can't watch it. So I'm on the Liverpool website, um, obviously with the sound turned down because they're giving commentary, but um, uh, I'm keeping track of the score and uh, it's already 3-0 to Liverpool. So that's amazing. After only 15 minutes, golly, against Tottenham Hotspur. Only 15 minutes? Yeah, no, this is against Tottenham. You know, I mean, they're like... One of you know again one of the toxic uh, teams in the country, but um, lately I don't know they lost them or their manager walked away. I mean got himself fired, and seems like the team is in huge disarray. So my uh, condolences go out to obviously every Tottenham Hotspur fan, including my dad. He's a big Tottenham fan, so oh. I know he's not going to be having a great afternoon over there in England right now. I have a question so, for you. I asked you mm-hmm. this before. Maybe some of our listeners can tell us. Yeah. Um, you mentioned something about nobody liking Chelsea. Why does nobody <laughs> like Chelsea? It's not that. It's no. It's um, so Chelsea were pretty successful. Um, I can't remember the exact dates. Early in the 2010s, I think they won the championship two or three times. Um, it's all to do with money. Um, but I was going to talk about that a little bit in oh, the thought okay. for today. Um, but just how how much money is in in football in you know England and Europe nowadays compared to you know me growing up in the late seventies, you know mid eighties. I mean, I'm remembering the very first guy, Trevor Francis, who um, got purchased for a million pounds. Um, I can't remember when that was, but something like early 80s and by Nottingham Forest. And that just seemed like such a huge amount of money at the time. And now you, if you're on Twitter, for example, you can look at comments that people are talking about different players and people will casually say things like, oh, Andy Robertson was such a great buy, you know, because he only cost us 13 million or something, you know, and I'm like, it's still 13 million. I mean, I know, you know, like some of the top players are getting like 100 million now, uh, you know, some of the latest ones. There's a guy, an English guy over in Germany uh, called Jude Bellingham that everyone wants to sign and they're quoting figures like 150 million for him. He's, I mean... He's only 19 and he's already playing for England and he plays for, who is it, um, Borussia Dortmund or Bayern Munich? I, I, I'm forgetting now, but um, I mean, 150 million, you know, it's just crazy money. 
Really? So, uh, I, don't, I don't get it. So. so so those people with that crazy money, if you're listening, mm. give me a dollar. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> give me I a know. dollar. Know. Let me hold some money. <laughs> but uh, going back to Chelsea, I think it was more that uh, they had one of those uh, Russian oligarchs that bought the club and then, you know, put a ton of money into it and they bought all the best players and... You know, the other teams, I mean, Liverpool included, you know, I mean, they're a successful team, but they don't have a huge budget necessarily every year to just go and buy all the best players. So I think there's some resentment, you know, from the rest of the uh, the clubs in the division when they see a new owner come in and they just pump a lot, a lot of money into it. I mean, the same thing has happened to Man City over, over the last 15 years. Um, and then now recently Newcastle, you know, they've got a new... I think owner from Saudi who's pumped a lot of money in. Um, it's just, you know, some clubs are finding it hard to compete, you know? Yeah. Um, and even if they do develop their own players, you know, they often get snatched up by the bigger clubs. So regulate it. Yeah. Well, regulate yeah. it. Anyway, I, <laughs> again, I was going to talk about that a little bit later. Okay. Okay. I'll um, get you on a tangent here. <laughs> interesting news. Yeah. So, um, Anyway, um, what are you going to be talking about later? Um, I'm going to complain about my package that's not here yet. Um, <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, I subject oh everyone to this. Oh everyone. Now, now people listening are going to be subjected to it. Okay. I'm going to complain about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to talk about some news here. Uh-huh. Not anything too crazy aside from OzCon. Yeah. And later, I'm going to talk about the importance of play. Oh, good. Okay. Yes. Lovely. Now, That's I'm not a therapist great. or psychologist or psychiatrist or any of the ists, but it's still worth noting and important to apply in real life to both children and adults. Indeed. Indeed. Okay. In uh, local news on the other side of the pond in uh, Gloucestershire and uh, the Forest of Dean, as we say, from uh, our forest to yours, I uh, wish you well. Hope you're having a great day, whatever it is you're doing. Um, first up in local news, I have to show you this picture. Oh, no. I'm scared. I saw something. What is that? I know. Uh, probably the funniest what? story of the week. What is that? Hang on. Hang on. Get your football scores out of the way. <laughs> Woman finds beautiful face of Princess Diana in a pack of ham. <laughs> it's like the Jesus toast. It's like the Jesus toast, <sighs> but it's a pack of ham. And there's a face, you can make out a face of probably someone who's a woman. And I just thought we'd stop doing this like 30 years ago. How we, why are we still reporting on these crazy people that see faces in things? And I see faces in wood grain, but I don't sit there and go like, I found Jesus or the Dalai Lama in the wood grain. I mean, don't we all know now that like the human brain is wired to recognize people's yes. faces? And so it's easy to see faces in almost everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can see them in chests of drawers, on the front of... I mean, certain cars, you know, like a, oh, yeah. a Beetle, for example, you know, yeah, or a happy. Mini. I mean, they they look like faces. I mean, we, we just see faces everywhere, don't we? Oh, my gosh. And, so. and there's no way to preserve that, really. It's going to, like, change color. So she's only going to be there while that ham is fresh. I know, I know. <laughs> Eat it. 
And, and you know, this lady is 36 years old. Mm. I mean, you know, usually they're, you know, I don't want to be ageist, but, you know, usually they're older and yes, <laughs> suffering from something. <laughs> oh, my God. I just love it. I just love it. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I will definitely post this on there. And um, just because that's, I think it's funny. hilarious. That's it's, just funny. <laughs> <laughs> now, in something more serious, um, down at Lydney Harbour, uh, they're actually protesting oh. because the companies that work in the industrial area down near Lydney Harbour, their electric bill in recent months has gone up 400%. <gasps> Ew. I know, right? And, 400. Um, yeah, uh, it's... It, it sounds like a weird situation because it seems like the owners of the industrial estate on in large um, have a contract to buy electricity for the businesses on on mass, right? So you would think that they would get a better deal because they're negotiating on behalf of all these different businesses that are in the same industrial park. Um, but, uh, yeah, they obviously haven't done a very good job at negotiating or for some reason the electric companies are just refusing to offer the electricity at any lower price. Now, I think, you know, who knows why, but I still don't understand. I guess it's probably just to do with the oil shock that we've had since the pandemic, right? The price of oil going up, uh, that's led to a lot of inflation. And therefore, if they're making their electricity from uh, fossil fuels, then the cost of the electricity is going up. But I really suspect that there's some price gouging going on in there as oh, well. Oh, yeah, because, for sure. I mean, you know. I mean, they're they're basically making everybody drive. I'm, I'm not bashing electric cars when I say it this way. Mm-hmm. They're basically making everybody switch over to electric cars so they know that that's going to be the new fuel source for their vehicles. So hike prices too in that case. Possibly, yeah. I don't know, <laughs> but... Um, um, Kind of interesting because, you know, I don't see a lot of people protesting. Um, You know, I always think of, maybe I'm wrong, right? But I always think of Lydney as kind of a sleepy little town, village, and, um, you know, people are usually pretty happy with the way of life and there's not too many things to protest about. Um, Interestingly, we did report on protests about the um, pedestrian crossing in the smaller villages. So, um, but... You know, I think it's kind of encouraging to see a community come out and uh, protest about things that actually, you know, do matter. Yeah. Right? And so, you know, that's what makes a democracy healthy in the end, right? Yeah. That, um, people actually come together and share their voice and make a demonstration. Yeah, absolutely. Now, speaking of, you know, price, 400% price increase, I don't know if you've, well, no, you wouldn't have noticed. You wouldn't notice at all. Um, <laughs> oh, God. <clears throat> Yeah, that's a little stab at you, just a little spiteful remark. Anyway. Mm, Yeah, thanks. (laughs) A lot of people noticed that their electrical or utilities bill in Howell County has gone up ridiculously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some, I have some friends, they normally kept their bill at around 150. Mm -hmm. It was like 400 or $200. Mm Mm-hmm. No, I do know this because, you know, I have a rental property in town. Oh, so yeah, that's I right. Do you do get, have that. I do pay the, the city you do for certain have that. things. I noticed it, too. I did a little digging. Come to find out their new card system that they switched over to 
has been doing that. And so there have been issues. It's not a traceable issue, so you still have to pay that bill because mm. there's no way that they can go back and change it or fix anything. Oh, no. I'm like, that. that's sketchy business, and I hate that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that is unacceptable. And that doesn't build trust. No. Because yeah. my electrical bill, even though I was keeping all of my lights off as much as possible, mm-hmm. I didn't run... I have gas heat, so my gas bill is different. Um, I didn't run a lot of electricity, and my my utilities bill was still one hundred and sixty dollars. Wow! Now that's low compared to other people, but yeah, yeah. For me, I'm like, what is running? Yeah. And I've looked nothing. I have a good. I have good refrigerators. Mm-hmm. My stove isn't doing anything crazy. If it's not being used, it's not plugged in. Right. So I have no idea where that came from. I know. I think it's a. I think it's a glitch in the accounting. Yeah. yeah. This past month, though, it's better. It's okay. down to 106. Okay. So maybe they fixed it because that was ugly right there. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Very ugly. Yeah. Stupid solar panels in your front yard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to respond to that. <laughs> Yellow card. <laughs> yeah, my bill was $35. Um, <coughs> so uh, events coming up in uh, in the Bristol and Gloucestershire area. Uh, July 8th is the Bristol Pride on the Downs. So the Bristol uh, Pride Parade. And um, hey, this is interesting. I looked into this because I was remembering going to the London Pride in the mid-90s. I think maybe 96 or 97 and, you know, it it's, would start out with like a march, you know, somewhere um, in the center of London. And then they'd end up in one of the big parks and then there'd be fireworks and lots of different music and uh, activities, you know, like proper, proper festival and uh, very inclusive. And I was, you know, back then I was in my mid 20s, very shy still. And I just thought it was amazing to see all these people dressing up and to be so fearless, you know, I think that's what I, I found um, quite amazing about the the fact that they were even having this public display of pride, right? And reading about it, the first London Pride goes back to like 1977. I had no idea. Huh. Yeah, it's been going ever since then. Um, it wasn't more, it wasn't so central in those days. It was a lot smaller, um, but um, yeah, I was kind of surprised to learn that. Anyway, uh, in other news, uh, May twentieth, uh, they're going to have an all-day rave over in Avon, uh, just outside Bristol, and that looks exciting. From two p.m. until four a.m. at oh, the wow. Trinity Centre, uh, fifty different artists. Uh, multiple stages it's only about 15 pounds to get a wristband and that gets you in everywhere so if you think you can dance for 16 hours good luck Uh, but (laughs) that's why it's a rave there's other things so i don't know what you're talking about um anyway so good luck to all those marathon dancers Um, make sure you eat a lot of pasta before you go Take a bottle of water with you. Yes, definitely. <laughs> but don't drink too much water. Uh, so. 
In other news, in Ross-on-Wye, which is actually Herefordshire, actually, uh, if you're on the other side of the river in Ross. Herefordshire. Herefordshire, yes. Herefordshire. Yes. So there is a manufacturer there that is expanding, which I think is unusual because, you know, there's hardly any, compared to, say, 100 years ago, there's hardly any manufacturing in England anymore. Like I've told you, you know, they import like 70% of their food and 50% of their energy. Um, you know, we used, to, I don't even know if they manufacture cars there anymore. Maybe. I know they don't possibly. make the Mini Cooper there anymore. And Ford um, bought the, I think, manufacturing uh, rights for Land Rover, which is why they suck now. Mm-hmm. I don't know if somebody else bought the rights for it right now, but I know that's yeah. what happened. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, there are obviously, you know, some manufacturers in the military industry, you know, aeronautics, uh, Rolls-Royce, for example, still making jet engines, specialized things like that. So a lot of the manufacturing is highly specialized now. Um, And I think I told one story about, you know, how in Lydney, you know, there's a tire manufacturer and they make tires for airplanes. So they've got to be really high density uh, rubber. Yeah. And at one point they did try and outsource to somewhere like China and, you know, they found that there were issues in the quality, you know, they'd get these tires coming back in big shipments and the quality wasn't good enough. So they'd have to send them back. And, you know, the extra cost of that really just didn't make it worth having them manufactured over there. And so they brought a lot of this specialized manufacturing back, I believe. Um, Whether that's still the case or not, I really don't know. So if, but it's an example that, yeah, you can export some jobs, but other jobs you can't, you know, and it's better to keep them here at home. Um, this manufacturer, in, in case of point, only uh, was created in 2022 to make face masks, right? Oh. Because do you remember during the pandemic, mm-hmm. we were all running out of face masks, again, partly because no one here was making them and we had to get them imported and the shipping containers were taking a long time and ports were... Uh, blocked up, you know, because of the, uh, I mean, huge traffic jams on the ocean, essentially. Um, and so you kind of realize, yeah, maybe, you know, there are some things that we need to make at home just in case, you know, mm-hmm. no one can deliver. Yeah, you know, so. yeah that's sensible. Yeah. Um, so anyway, they're expanding, um, which is surprising, you know, because I mean, who's using face masks anymore? But I guess they've branched out into other things that are uh, related to that. So, um, but that's good to see, you know. Uh, in other news, on June 24th, there's going to be a little hot air balloon display. Five Ooh. balloons will be launched from a place called Red Catch Park, if you know where that is. Um, now, there is an even, I mean, in August, there is an even bigger, like, balloon race or display uh, called the International Balloon Festival that goes on. And I remember seeing pictures of that. There's probably like 30 or 40 balloons that get launched during those times. But um, anyway, there's like a, as a precursor to that, uh, like I said, at Red Catch Park, you can go to the park and witness five balloons getting launched. Um, beautiful things to, to see go sailing by, I think. But um, whether I'd ever get on one and ride it, because I don't know. I mean, how do you steer those things? You don't. You... you figure out where the wind pattern is for your flying days and you Mm -hmm. go by that i see so you got to really know your wind patterns yeah definitely 
And where those wind patterns are, whether you're going north at, what, a thousand feet or you'll end up going east at 500 feet yeah you got to know those things yeah. no thank you yeah i think i'd have like jelly legs standing in the basket I'd probably be like i can't i can't handle it i know and I'm i'd be f- i'd be worried about electric wires as well and pylons like coming down to land you know oh, hopefully you're not that low <laughs> but you got to land somewhere you know yes right somewhere <laughs> uh, apparently there's a new Jim Broadbent movie coming out soon uh, It's called The Unlikely Pilgrimage of Harold Fry And interesting story is to do with the guy who walks 500 miles To go and see a friend who has a terminal illness um, Sounds like it's a, a comedy, tragedy, you know, mixture you know, Sounds like a very endearing story But anyway, the, the main character walks through a lot of the beautiful countryside in Gloucestershire because he's, you know, going cross-country. So uh, places featured are Stroud, Birdlip, Mickleton, Cheltenham, and Cranham Woods. So again, you know, it's one of those things that's going to, like, highlight the region, probably bring in more tourists, right? It's, it's usually a good thing. Other news in the UK, uh, there's been a big push by the government over there on a national basis because the prime minister currently thinks that everyone should be learning math up until the age of 18. Do you remember that? And so obviously there's been a reaction from the non-math community to this. (laughs) So they've been going out and interviewing businesses and asking them, you know, is math really important, you know, to getting hired at your company? Uh, And obviously they've written down that, well, yes, math is important, but it's not the only thing that we look for. Obviously, we look for things like communication skills and attitude and behavior and appearance and, you know, commitment as well. You know, do you actually show up on time? So. Yeah, there's there's some parts of math that are very important. And then you don't need calculus to work in retail. Mm, maybe not. No, but um, someone else higher up might use calculus. <laughs> yes. Yeah couple of last-minute things. Uh, there's going to be on June 1st over in a place called Propyard, uh, which I believe is in the Bristol area. There's going to be what they call an immersive sensory exhibition. Uh, so thousands of colored lights in this installation. Um, the exhibition covers 20,000 square foot, so that's huge. So like a big warehouse, uh, digitally rendered sensory experiences are oh. promised. So that almost sounds like the um, uh, the light exhibition that we went over to see in Bentonville earlier last year. Um, they had all these, you know, we went at night after sundown and have all these different light displays and uh, artistic installations. But it's all outside and you can walk through the woods and experience them and how far away is Bentonville? Uh, it's not really that far, but it takes about three and a half hours to drive there. Mm. And then the final thing, uh, which I showed you just earlier, um, <laughs> our foreign correspondent, Julian, uh, has reported that in Ross and Y, there is, well, how would you describe it? It's like a medieval tower, you know? So if you imagine a big stone castle and on the corners, they have these like round turrets. Um, it's the it, Fortress of Solitude. This is just a single round turret, three stories high, uh, that has been, I don't know, you know, it's probably one of those things that was built 
back in the day, maybe as an outpost or something like that, because uh, it, it's overlooking the River Wye there in the Hard valley. to protect the river. Yeah, and but now it's someone's house, obviously. And, and it's perfect. And if you can, I, it's really cool design on the inside because, I mean, you're in a circular space. And so all the kitchen cabinets, you know, still go around the circular wall. Um, yeah. It's it, it looks really, looks really cool, but um, as you probably guessed, it's pretty expensive. Yes. So, um, I think it was about half a million or something yeah. like that for 800 and, 867 square foot. Yeah, like that. So, you're right. So. <laughs> it's, it is a phenomenal building, though. But I, if I was an eccentric billionaire and uh, wanted to you know, live out... The rest of my days in solitude, I think it would be the perfect place. <laughs> or rent it out. Here's yeah. an Airbnb. Come live in the <laughs> turret. <laughs> that would be a cool Airbnb, Airbnb, wouldn't it? Yes. Yeah. What's going on in West Plains? Okay. Well, in West Plains, um, I'm going to focus on the good news. <laughs> mm-hmm. A motorcycle incident did occur. So I just want to put out there that be aware of motorcycles. They're out and about, guys. Yeah. Just just keep an eye on them. Now, for the first little bit of positive news, the Butler's Children Park, you know the splash pad? Yeah. Yeah, that's opening up on May 1st. Oh, nice. Yes, which I think is Monday. You're right, yes. It is Monday. Oh, um, so I'm looking forward to that. I enjoy playing in the splash pad, too. Yeah, yeah, uh, it is brilliant. We'll have to put a photo of that on just to remind people because... Uh, they did a great job there. They did. Um, love I it. I mean, to briefly describe it, you know, it's not so much of a climbing frame type of activity, but there's lots of buttons everywhere. And when you press them, fountains of water shoot up from the ground mm-hmm. and out of other structures and sculptures. Um, and everything's this, brightly colored. And, yes. Yeah. They're musical instrument themed and mm-hmm. the big buckets that dump water on you and everything. Right, right. It's always been too cold for me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in the really hot summer, it is fantastic. Yes, it is an excellent summertime uh, activity. And they're going to be finishing up, hopefully soon, mm. the more inclusive part of the children's park. I know people have already been playing on it, yeah. but they've been doing more work. And hopefully they'll have that finished up. I think they've seeded the ground with some grass seed as well now. Oh, good deal. Good deal. Hopefully that'll be coming up soon because it was a bit of a mud bath before. Yes, definitely. Now, other fun stuff for kids coming up is the Missouri Department of Conservation has got something going on May 6th. They're inviting young anglers to experience the fun of fishing at the Montauk State Park. Oh, okay. Kids Fishing Day. Nice. That's going to be taking place in Licking, Missouri. Mm-hmm. That's a fun name. Yeah. And they do encourage kids to bring their own tackle and gear. Okay. I kind of want to go to that. Hmm. So we'll see how that goes. It's going to start at 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> Maybe I'm not. <laughs> and is going to go to around 8.15. Okay. So it's got a sponsor and everything, and, you know, hopefully people can go out and have a good day fishing. Yeah. Kids learning how to fish. I know Emma wants to learn how to fish. Something very close in West Plains 
It's uh, on BB Highway. So Parks and Recreation is going to host a ribbon cutting for the new mountain bike trail. Oh. Yes. So that's going to be at the JMB Park. Mm, okay. It's called the Wits End Trail. Yeah. Now, it's not just for mountain biking. You can walk it as well. Mm-hmm. But it was uh, primarily made as a mountain bike trail. Right. It's a little over a mile and a half. Okay. Oh. There's different terrain and everything. So if you go walking, make sure you have good shoes. Yeah, and keep your ears open, right? <laughs> In case there's bears around, yeah. Well, this is and, also going to be... And for bikes coming up from behind. You know. Absolutely, yeah. And, oh. and, and cyclists, you know... Give a heads up for some people walking. Mm. I usually like to say on my left or or on your left or on your right whenever you I go. ride. Mm-hmm. You know, just be nice to each other. Coming through. I can't stop my brakes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and quickly coming up is the Ozark, the old time music festival. Ah, uh, yes. yes. When but, is that again? Oh, goodness gracious. That's going to be June, June 2nd and 3rd. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that because definitely there's other events. There's going to be mule jumping. Oh. I've never seen that. I've never seen anyone jump over a mule. <laughs> That's quite a task, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, especially if they're tall. Yeah. Uh, anyway, they're going to be riding the mules and having them jump. No, I have seen mule jumping before, actually. And what's amazing is just from a standing start, they can jump over a you know, five-bar gate. They're yes. incredible. Mules are very athletic. You don't yeah. think of mules as being athletic, but man. They have a spring in their step. Yes, they do. Yeah. So there's going to be a pie competition as Ooh. well at the Ozark Festival. So if you've got a particular pie like, you're good at, you want to slam that in there. And they're like also throwing? Take, like people in stocks, is it? Or? I mean, if they added that as a feature maybe <laughs> next year, somebody would probably be down for that. But this is tasting. Ah, tasting. Okay, yeah. Yes, they're going to have right. a panel of judges. Mm. Now, they're going to have not only the the sweet fruit pies, they're going to have, you know, the more rich ones like banana cream pie and, you know, chocolate ones and even savory pies mm. like quiches. Ooh, like, yes. I do like quiches. Quiches yeah. are delicious. I love mm. quiche. My, key, my quiche phase was also coupled with my Benetton phase. I don't know if that says anything, but... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, and uh, some Are you, th- you going to make a pie? I might. I might make one. You should one. make a pie. I should make one. Mm. I do like to make lattice top apple pie. That's fun times. Yeah, they're always good. Yes. Now, the cooking stage is going to be located in the Brush Arbor on St. Louis Street. Okay. So that's a very specific location for that. Mm-hmm. Other food demonstrations that are going to be there are interesting. There's yeah. going to be classic church potluck dishes for okay. anyone who's really good at making spoon grub, as they call it. <laughs> Two more unusual meals, such as squirrel and dumplings. Oh, my goodness. Oh, let me say that right. <clears throat> squirrel and dumplings. Venison chili. Wow. And oh, yeah. Have, no, I've had that. That's good. Yes, I have yeah. too. That's a, probably one of the best ways to eat venison, really. I've made a venison curry before. Because it's so tough, really, isn't it? Yes. You have to slow cook it for a long time to break mm-hmm. it down. Yeah, I made a venison curry. That turned out really good. Mm. Cooked forever, but it was great. And let's see, they'll have samples of everything that the judges go through at the end of, you know, mm-hmm. their tasting. Okay. 
So if you guys want to jump in on that, there will be prize money. Yeah. It's not a crazy amount, but the grand prize winner is going to get $100. Okay. So, I mean, bake a pie, yeah. $100. What do you got no to lose? Nothing to lose, really. You still got a pie to eat. Exactly. You know? mm-hmm. Exactly. Now, this last little bit affects the entire state of Missouri, and I feel like it's worth mentioning. Yeah. So, Governor Parson... He signed the SB 51 into law. Now, what does that mean? What it means is that they are making it easier for people to get physical therapy. Oh, right. Okay. Yes. He signed that one, and so Missourians can take advantage of that. And what that means is here are some little tidbits about it. Yeah. Qualified physical therapists may treat patients without a prescription or a referral from a physician. So you don't have to wait months for a referral or jump through a bunch of hoops to get a referral. Right, right. Because that is a bit of a scam, isn't it? And favoritism. Yeah. Some physicians are like, oh, well, I'm not going to refer you to that doctor for or that therapist for one reason or another. Who Mm, knows? Right, right. Qualified physical therapists may provide certain educational information, fitness or wellness programs, screenings, or consultations without a prescription or referral from a physician. So things that aren't medically detrimental, mm-hmm. they can give you suggestions now. Right, right. Yes. And physical therapists are required to consult with an approved healthcare provider after every 10 visits or 30 days, whichever occurs first, yeah. before continuing therapy. Okay. Now, there's a ton more that goes along with it, but it just makes it easier for people to get the physical therapy that they need. Right, and sooner. Yes. Right, because, yeah. What you, I mean, you've got to, otherwise, I, I get it, right? You've got to wait for, you've got to get your doctor's appointment first, you know, that might be a week or so, and then, you know, the specialist can be months later, can't it? Yeah, and then they know? hem and haul over, uh-huh. oh, well, the specialist can't get to you today, you know, before you can be referred to your physical therapist. I mean, blah, I went blah. to see a specialist last year about my nose, you know, because I've got one, you know, I got punched in the nose, you know, a couple of times, um, rugby and other things like that. And I just said, you know, isn't there a way you can, like, do a little bit of surgery to... <laughs> So that I can breathe through one, you know, the one nostril because it's usually like permanently blocked, and uh, it just wasn't any help at all. You know, he basically tried to put me off the idea and didn't want to do anything. I was like, oh, okay. Um, it's like I, I want to know. breathe, doctor. <laughs> so, you know, it, what I'm saying is, it was a long wait to just get someone who wasn't really interested in you know, providing the service that I thought that they probably should, you know? I Doing mean, their job. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I can re- I can wear those Breathe Right strips, but I don't, you know. I'm like, can't you just, it's to do with the membrane inside. Like, like can't just, I pay you a year's worth of Breathe Right strip cost <laughs> to fix the problem? Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and like you said, OzCon, I think, was the big event yes. locally this, Ooh, this week. Speaking of OzCon, I have two mm. interviews oh, that you we do? can uh, you can patch in here in some weird way if you want. Mm, okay. Um, well, either this week or next week, definitely. Okay, awesome. Maybe, maybe next week. All right, yes. Yeah, we'll get those edited this week and put them in next week's show. Did I tell you that there was, there was people there that knew about the show? No yeah, way. I had no idea who they were. Oh, my goodness. It's like, yay! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
So, uh, thought for the day, um, try not to make this too long, but I, you know, first of all, I want to say there is a town called Wrexham. Have you heard of the town called Wrexham in North Wales? No. Okay. So, uh, have you heard of Ryan Reynolds? Yes. Okay. So, Deadpool. I know um, who someone <laughs> is, finally. <laughs> say his, a name I recognize. His, now, he and this other actor called Rob McHenry. Who? Well, yeah, well, I don't know. I don't have... I should look this up, but I don't know who Rob is, but apparently he's another famous person in Hollywood. Anyway, um, during the pandemic lockdown back in 2020, Rob was watching a lot of documentaries on sport and he got this idea that maybe he should buy a football team. And so he looked around and he um, honed in on the town of Wrexham because Wrexham's football team was not even in any of the top four divisions, right? So they're like, um, they're what was called a uh, non-league team, but they're still in a league. He asked Ryan Reynolds to pitch in, and the two of them bought Wrexham for two and a half million pounds, which, you know, if you know anything about soccer teams, is a snip. It's uh, very, very cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, so they bought the team, and then they made a documentary about Wrexham, and the characters there, I haven't seen it, but it's called Welcome, Welcome to Wrexham. It's on Netflix, and it was hugely popular when it first came out, and <clears throat> even since. And the first year, you know, they, um, I mean, obviously they did a couple of things well, right? They they didn't involve themselves too much. In, you know, they got a, they hired a really good manager, and that manager then hired some very good uh, football players and they were paying them significantly more than they would have been earning in a non-league team, uh, you know, for any other football club. So they were able to attract some really good talent, um, but they seem to have like fostered this real great community uh, spirit around the team and the whole town has bought into it and Ryan Reynolds has even bought a house there in Wrexham so, you know, even though he's often over in Hollywood, I mean, he's Canadian originally, you know, he's spending time there in North Wales, especially when there's important matches on, you know, he's there in, in the stands. But, um, I mean, it's revitalized the town. That's you know? wonderful. I mean, this was, uh, you know, heavy coal mining town, a lot of manufacturing, that kind of thing, which has obviously decreased over the you know, recent decades. And so... Having some, you know, this, what is comparatively quite a small amount of money invested, you know, in the football team, just incredible the effect of, you know, a little bit of investment, but also a lot of energy, you know, and goodwill. And, you know, I don't want to say good intentions, but they they, they, they seem to have done it very smartly. And like I said, they've uh, not been too directly involved themselves. Now, the reason why I mention this is kind of goes back to what I was saying at the beginning of the show. There is some resentment, you know, amongst some of the football teams, even in the top division in the premiership, um, because you've got some teams that are maybe getting, you know, like I said, money from Russian oligarchs or from Saudi oil people. You know, there's this weird... uh, what would you call it? There's this weird dynamic going on, if you think about it, where in England they're suffering this cost of living crisis. You know, a lot of the inflation is because of the price of oil. 
And so we're paying more for the oil and gas. And then here are these Saudis coming in and they're buying teams like Newcastle and pumping it full of money. And you think, well, that's that's money they got from us, really, you know. It's an imbalance. And so I started to wonder about the ownership of football teams. Why is it that nowadays, if you look down the Premier List um, and even the first and second divisions, these comp- these football teams now are owned by either billionaires or hedge funds, you know, investors, basically. Money laundering. <laughs> and... It makes you think, I, I, well, it made me think, you know, has this always been the way? So I went back and looked at some of the brief history of some of the early clubs. So one example was uh, the team now known as West Ham United. They were actually started in uh, by the owner of Thames Ironworks. And, um, you know, he realized that, you know, so it's an ironworks. He had a lot of uh, workers working in his iron plant and he thought it'd be a good idea if they you know, got together and uh, formed a football team. And, and football was pretty, um, I mean, just getting going. I mean, I'm talking about back in the 1860s, right? Oh, wow, way back. So Yeah, way back. And, you know, so they just thought, oh, yeah, let's get a work team together and we can play against some other local teams and, you know, it'd be something fun for, you know, the, the company to do as a whole, it'd be, you know. Um, Ironworks versus the woodworking team, yeah, that kind of that, stuff. Yeah, that kind of thing, yeah. Um, Now, you know, they were fortunate that they had an industrialist who built them a really nice stadium. And like I said, he he made a promise to the people that played on the on the football team that if they got injured during the game and they had to miss work, that he would still pay them while they were injured. So they, you know, they wouldn't risk anything by being part of this football team. Okay. now, a lot of teams kind of formed around this idea, you know, it was just a community football team and the people involved, you know, were the ones that made it happen. And now the, uh, in terms of ownership, a lot of them were constructed as a, like a nonprofit organization. You know, they had a director and a committee and those committee members were voted on by the uh, you know, it was currently kind of, um, you know, the players and the people around them and the, you know, immediate fans, if you like, were the ones electing the committee members and they would rotate every couple of years and, and that kind of system. I mean, each each team kind of developed in their own way, but a lot of them followed that that model. Then they, you know, some of the teams were very successful and they had a lot of fans coming so they could sell tickets and they made money and they started to grow. Other teams, you know, if they weren't winning all the time, they didn't get so many fans coming to the games and they often didn't make a profit, right? So then you got the organi- the organization known as the FA or the English FA came together and kind of did what the American football system did. It started to say to the successful teams, hey, Let's create a fund, um, all you successful teams pay into it, and that way we can help out or bail out any of the lower teams to stop them from going bankrupt if, if they ever need it. So kind of like an insurance policy. Um, and that's the system you have over here, if you didn't know, you know. So no American football team is risking relegation or, um, or financial ruin because they, they pool their profits together and, you know, help out each other. 
Okay. Um, and, then, and then you also have this system of drafting, right? So yes. if you come bottom in the league, you get the first pick in the, in the, in the first draft, right? So um, they're spreading the talent around. So you don't get what you get right now in the English Premier Division where you've got four or five clubs that are able to spend like half a billion dollars a year on buying new players, whereas teams in the lower division, you know, they're lucky if they're spending like a hundred million. So that's the disparity that I'm talking about. Now, people that are really into football will understand that there are investigations going on into some of these really expensive, into some of these teams lately who've been spending, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions over the last 10 years. Um, And they, they have these new rules called financial fair play that is trying to even out the system, but it's not totally there yet. Um, what I did find interesting, though, was a lot of these teams like um, uh, West Ham and Arsenal, which back in 1893, they were called Woolwich Arsenal. I didn't Woolwich. even know that. Um, funny enough, so in 1893, Woolwich Arsenal, they they wanted to get some startup capital, so they sold 4,000 shares at one pound each. So 4,000 pounds was their starting capital, get you know, so that was probably worth millions and millions. That was a lot that, of money back uh, then. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, and they sold, they tried to sell shares to, you know, like I said, the local workers, the people, the fans, right? So they wanted to have community ownership. The downside to this was that a lot of people who were working didn't really have one pound to buy a share, you know, again, yeah. that was a lot of money. Yeah, pound back in, now keep in 1893. Mm-hmm. So that's a long time ago for a pound or a dollar. Right. So what happened in a lot of cases, like I said, each story is slightly different, but in a lot of cases, a lot of the shares that were initially sold in these teams were bought by local business people because they had more money. And they saw it as an opportunity for advertising. You know, they could be a member. They could get some billboards put up in the in the ground. Uh, they could get their name on the program when it was printed out. You know, some basic advertising. So a lot of those teams formed LLCs and then, you know, sold shares to their shareholders. And just coincidentally, right, I want to say, because I've talked about, you know, the fan share idea that I had. Uh, years and years ago. Yeah. And the funny thing is, when I looked into it, there was also another company out there in 2010 selling what they called fan shares, right? And <laughs> and uh, lo and behold, it was Arsenal Football Club. Uh, so they had, you know, in like 20, in 2008, I think, um, you know, we had the recession, right? Or the depression or whatever. Um, they decided to try and raise money by selling shares to their fans and they call them fan shares. Now, these weren't even like whole shares. They were like fractions of shares. So these new fan shares, you know, you had to buy like a thousand or something of of these to own one of the proper shares in the club. So it was a very, very minuscule ownership that you were buying. Um, Sadly, I mean, I looked into it maybe five years ago and they'd... Uh, ended the program and they bought all the shares back off the people. So um, I don't know why, but I guess, you know, if I have anything, where the, where is this thought going? It's really that, you know, personally, I think that public entities that are really like, they've become 
part of the identity of a city or a village or a town, I think they should be owned by the people. You know, I mean, I also think that banks, you know, like a, our local West Plains Bank, I think that should be owned by the people that live in West Plains. That bank has been here for a long time. Because, you know, and we used to have this in America, apparently. We used to, it used to be covered in what they call community banks. But uh, somewhere in the 70s and 80s, a lot of them got bought up, you know, and as often happens in, in capitalism uh, economies, you know, the, the successful banks buy of the smaller banks. I mean, you've, you've had it in your railways, you know, in, in most industries, you know, the, the, the successful companies end up buying up all the smaller ones and you end up with just like two, three or four, a maybe monopoly. five. It, yeah, <laughs> it's not, it, it's, like, it's either going to be a duopoly or like I said, if you think about like um, cell phone carriers, you know, we used to have like eight or nine and now I think there's maybe only four or five. They're slowly getting bought up by each other. You yeah. know, it's, almost, it's really like a dog-eat-dog kind of competition because they know if they can, you know, if uh, Verizon can buy Sprint or T-Mobile can buy Sprint, you know, they've made their company bigger and it's less likely that they're going to get any new competition coming in because their companies are already so big. Yeah. And the only thing that stops it becoming a monopoly is regulation at that point, right? You have the Monopolies and Merger Commission that looks into, you know, what the effect of a purchase would be if it should go ahead. So, so you mentioned in mm -hmm. uh, 1893, I looked up how much a pound oh, yeah. would have been worth uh -huh. back then. It would have been, it would have had the purchasing power of $164.40. 164 times. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, 164 pounds. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, yes, that was a big jump. Wow. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. I just thought anyway, I'd look that so, up because it's um, always good to put it in perspective. Well, it's $164 they're slamming in there. So, anyway, all, all I was going to say finally is, well, I guess two things. You know, often in terms of economics, we're told that if, uh, if the public have too much money, you know, if we're paying people too much in wages, that this is going to uh, cause inflation somehow. The other problem that I see is billionaires, right? I, don't, I really, you know, kind of like Bernie Sanders says, I don't think billionaires should ex exist. It's almost like it's proof that uh, those companies basically haven't paid their employees enough and they've kept, you know, kept all the profits to themselves. Um, and I know why that happens, but the... The problem with having billionaires in the world is that they become almost more powerful than governments. Yes. And, you know, good for Wrexham that they had these couple of millionaires come in and, you know, make a great investment, but also brought a lot of enthusiasm with it. And that's fantastic for them. And I'm so glad that they've been promoted into the main division now. But, you know, what if a billionaire hadn't come along? I mean, how many billion? I think there's like 800 billionaires in the world or something like many. that. Um, it's definitely too many. And we're kind of relying on their charity, you know, or what they're interested in. Whereas, again, going back to the government, they can create money. They can do... Look, so the other story I mentioned was the uh, manufacturing company that makes face masks in Ross. That was started by a government loan of $6 million dollars pounds and now it's successful right like the government 
can create money and make all these investments. Now, again, some of the investments won't work out. I mean, any any investor knows that, you know, you're going to take a risk. But if they have the money and there are people unemployed and people looking for work, why not do these kinds of investments, you know? I would like to argue with them on why they don't play their FedEx employees to do better. Okay. <laughs> All right. You got anything on your mind? Um, yes. <laughs> FedEx. Where's my package? <laughs> um, they say it should be here tomorrow. Given OzCon this weekend and everything, I was sitting here wondering about whether or not, you know, playing games is detrimental or helpful and you'll get a lot of people say oh video games are bad or tabletop games are boring you'll get a bunch of the negative immediately Mm -hmm. like that's the first thing out of people's mouths is the negative yeah so play is important it's important not only for children and when people think about children they typically go straight into the oh you know infants up to maybe 10 Mm -hmm. now play is important for the teen ages too and it's important for young adults and older adults mm-hmm. what it does is it builds a lot of uh, cognitive reasoning and emotional stability and focus mm-hmm. and going based off the the first little bits is like board games yeah it really does help with your brain function people who play board games and video games there's an increase in gray matter mm-hmm. in the brain. So it stimulates the brain. It helps create focus. Right. Now, some people will say, oh, well, you know, people play video, kids who play video games can't focus. Not true. No. They're just not focusing on your boring stuff. <laughs> and that's a fact. I play video games. Mm. Somebody tries to get me to focus on math. I'm like, that's boring math. I want the fun math. Like, where are my stats and percentages? Hey, <laughs> You can make math fun. Yeah, right. Just make it apply to something. Yes, yeah. So playing board games, a positive to that is it can reduce the risk of Alzheimer's. I've heard that, yes. Yes, because it's mentally stimulating and Mm -hmm. socializing. Yeah. Because you have to be together, talking to other people, figuring stuff out, Mm -hmm. planning things. It's really good for that. It's also a stress reducer. Mm. Now, for some people, it increases their stress, <laughs> but you're also having other chemicals affecting it, like endorphins, mm-hmm. fun stress. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Well, yeah, healthy competition, right? Yes, yeah, healthy. Mm-hmm. So that's, and, and people are laughing. We mm-hmm. all know laugh is a good decompressing uh, effect of games. Yeah, yeah. This is probably a little bit more biased than here. Board game playing creates more happiness. Well, it releases more of the happy hormones, you know, serotonin, dopamine, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And especially if you have a good group of people who can take their losses as funny. Right. That makes it even better. Yes. It can strengthen relationships with groups of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, folks who play, we'll say D&D because of OzCon, of course. Yeah. D&D or say you have a good Fortnite team, mm-hmm. it strengthens a bond yeah. to the point where you know what your teammate is going to do without them having to talk about it. Mm-hmm. It makes you more intuitive. You pay attention to other people. Mm-hmm. You learn to focus on those things. Yeah. 
I also heard, just to interject, uh, yeah. someone came out with a book this week in America to do with fortitude. And the research goes back to basically, do they have a st strong family unit or a strong uh, friendship circle? Um, because what happens is everyone's going to encounter problems or challenges if they've got a group of people that they can rely on to talk to about these challenges. That often helps them uh, think of a way through or around or yeah. just gives them the confidence that they've got someone supporting them, cheering them on. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's a great way to help teach children, teenagers, and some young adults how to be patient. Some grown adults need to know how to do this too. I almost cussed. <laughs> <laughs> I kept it back. Uh, it helps people... Learn how to set goals and be patient. Yeah. If there's one thing I've noticed, some video, a lot of modern video games, you have to be patient. Mm -hmm. There, There's not an instant reward system. It may seem like it, but for example, some video games, the game's 400 hours long. Wow. Maybe not 400, 40 hours long. Yeah. I've played 400 hours. <laughs> Let me correct myself. It's a 40-hour game. Mm-hmm. And you have to be patient, otherwise you're not getting to the end. Right, right. Now, the speedrunners, they don't count. <laughs> now, the thing about speedrunning, though, is that you have to be patient and figure out how to do it quickly. Mm. Problem solving. I see. It's also a creative outlet mm -hmm. because you're learning how to do something new and differently. For example, you could go from playing, oh, let's see, say some Star Wars Battlefront game. Mm -hmm. And then you switch over to something like Final Fantasy VII. Mm -hmm. They're both fantasy. Mm -hmm. And then you flop over into, say, Red Dead. Mm -hmm. Very different uh, structure right there. Right, A right. lot more mortality in that one. Mm -hmm. You have to adapt. Yeah. And believe it or not, surgeons who play video games before having to go do a surgery make 37% fewer mistakes. Really? Yes. Wow. You have more dexterity with your hands. It engages um, eye-hand coordination. I see. And focus. Right, right. So it can be beneficial. You know, it also seems like a release as well. Yes. You know, like for, you know, how we've talked in the past about repression, right? Repressed mm -hmm. urges or repressed desires. And if they're not, you know, brought to the surface in some healthy way, they can manifest themselves in unhealthy ways. Like I was thinking about Bonham the other day, and like he, he does play a lot of video games and sometimes he gets really passionate about it. Mm -hmm. But I was also thinking this is actually good because this is helping him get his anger out uh, because I think in normal life he he feels that he's uh, he shouldn't be angry. You know, I don't know where he's got this idea from, but obviously from me somehow. But um, you know, he thinks that if something is wrong, he shouldn't get angry because that's not polite or something. And I'm going to try and encourage him to be a bit more angry now. You know, in a healthy way. And if that means, you know, just getting angry at uh, the fact that he got killed in Fortnite or, you know, yeah. that's helping like, him, like, release it, get it out, you know? Yeah. And if it's not that, it's going to be singing or playing sport, you know, uh, something to get that, that anger out. Yeah. Like, there's nothing wrong with anger. It's how you react mm -hmm. to that anger. Yeah. So, 
yeah, anger is important. It lets you know when something feels unfair. And, yeah, well, you or know. frustration. There's yeah. frustration, and then there's anger. Yeah, yeah. They're they're cousins. But and, you know what I'm talking about. If you yeah, <clears throat> if you if you come across a frustrating situation, and you feel angry on the inside, but you don't get it out somehow, it's just gonna. Um, it eats at you. It's gonna eat at it's you. It's like acid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just eats away the inside. Yeah. Now I myself have experienced that getting angry at a video game. And the best way is to step away. Mm-hmm. Because if you're angry, you're not having fun. Now, I don't mean give up on the game. Right. Just step away for a minute, get a snack, come back and be like, okay, what I was doing wasn't working. Sure. Why am I not doing good? <laughs> right. And that honestly will help a lot. So it makes you more persistent, not giving up. Yeah. So if a game frustrates you, take a break. Be more persistent, though. Yeah. Think clearly. So people who don't let it overwhelm them end up thinking more clearly. Mm -hmm. Now, play also goes far beyond just, you know, video games and regular tabletop games, actually going outside and playing. Mm -hmm. Kids need to play. Yeah. They need to get their feet dirty. They need to run barefoot. They need to grab the worms in the mud or get the itchy bee sting or something like they need to go experience those things. Right. It helps them become more fulfilled, um, familiar with how they move Mm -hmm. and what risks they can physically take and endure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing thing for building gross motor skills and fine motor skills, communication with other, you know, kids, their size or even kids bigger and smaller than them. Mm -hmm. It, it's amazing to help with communication. Yeah. And I've noticed kids that don't get to play and are, uh, how would you say it, more, their parents make them do things like... Like purely academic. Purely academic. Like they're they're super structured. They don't get to have free play. Mm -hmm. They don't know how. No. They have to ask permission to play or ask, how do I play? Right. Like free, they, they lose... Spontaneity. Independence. Yeah. And then that backfires Yeah, when they become adults because then you have a kid who has missed out on, say, the first 18 years or first 20 years of their life getting to play. Now they get into an adult phase. They're going to go out and do crazy stuff. Mm. They're like, wow, no one can tell me I can't go out drinking till 4 in the morning and then go to work <laughs> at 6. Like, Your employer will let you know. <laughs> and they start just, it gets a little out of hand. Yeah. Now, structure, there's nothing wrong with some structure. Right. But free play. Mm-hmm. It's like, go out in the yard, go play. Yeah. And like, you don't have to ask me to go out in the backyard to play. Right. Have at it. Exactly. Like, use, use some sense about you, but they learn that sense by messing up. Yes. Uh, for example, I'll use me as an example. I would go out and play barefoot, and there was a particular dock where my parents were working, and... I decided against my better judgment, I'm going to play barefoot on this old wooden dock. Uh, Guess who got a bunch of splinters in her toe? You. Me. Yeah. Did I do it again? No. I wore <laughs> socks the next time. Oh, okay. I, I improved my uh, situation a bit. Right. I, I stopped being so foolish around old splintery wood. Gained some wisdom. Yes. Yes. So... Yeah, I learned that once from uh, throwing bottles in the in the tip, 
and one of them smashed and I got a piece of glass on my thigh. Ooh. Yeah, I didn't Ouch. didn't do didn't throw bottles again. Yeah, and that's that's also something else. Read that right there. What you did and what I did. He's, let your kids make safe mistakes. <laughs> yeah, I don't Seriously. know. Seriously. Yeah, I know. I know. Safe is a funny word, but when I say safe mistakes, you're there and you're like, okay, she's climbing on this log. She's gonna fall off. Yep, she fell off. Yes, it hurt. Okay. Yeah. Safe mistakes, not letting them go play in traffic. That's just right. negligence. Right. But safe ones. Like, okay, you're going to go chase the chickens. Well, Gus ain't going to like that. And there he goes. He's chasing her. <laughs> so that's what I mean. Yeah, I know. Like, let them mess up. Let them learn. Definitely. But be there to go, okay. Yes. What did you learn? Right, After right. you know, you make sure the injury's not bad. <laughs> right. It's not just like back in the day where they used to say, Go outside and don't come back until the sun comes down, you know. Yeah, that kind of stuff. No, no, I don't feel, no. no, I'm not down with that. No, so some supervision required. Yeah. Yeah. Like like when I'm playing with Emma, I'm like, go, pick up the bug. Like, <laughs> let me see. Like, okay, that one's fine. Like, play with it. Yeah. Don't hurt it. Right. And, you know, there's consequences to actions. Mm-hmm. They they learn that through play. Yeah. You played with something too rough, well, it, it smacked you, or the stick broke, or you fell, mm-hmm. or now your friend doesn't want to play with you. Right. There's consequences. Right, they learn right. that through play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's vital. It is, yeah. It is absolutely vital. And I'm going to post a link to a doctor who talks about children and ADHD and how he doesn't believe majority of people have that issue. Right, right. Uh, is Dr. Jordan Peterson. He's a well-renowned uh, psychologist, psychiatrist, a doctor for mental health. I will post it, and I watched his little thing about that, and it makes a lot of sense. Cool. It makes so much sense. You guys will love it. Awesome. Well, um, sadly, I think that's about all we have time for this yep. week. Um, looks like the weather is nice and sunny out there. Time to do some yard work Mm -hmm. and uh, spring cleaning. Open up the windows. Yes. So uh, have a great week and we'll talk to you next time. Y'all have a good one. I'll see you. You've been listening to One Bloke Went to Mole.